2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Second Corinthians 12.10 says, Therefore, I, Paul, talking about himself, Paul says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Does that make sense? For when I am weak, then am I strong. Does that add up in your mind? Does that make sense to you, that when I'm weak, I'm strong? I would say that that doesn't make sense to our minds most of the time. That doesn't necessarily add up. Usually when we have a weakness, which by the way, we all have weaknesses. We do. We do. But usually when we have a weak moment or we have a weak part of our life, what do we do? We suck it up, we toughen up, we fight through it, we, we, we do whatever we have to do to, to get through that weak moment. But you know what, that's not what God wants us to do. That's not what God wants you to do. And that's not what he wants me to do. Instead, God would rather us depend on him for our strength than us try to do it ourselves. But I would say that all too often we try to do it ourselves. In Sunday school this morning, I had the teenagers write down some weaknesses for me. And one person said, self-love. I think that's pretty good. That's interesting. Always trying to prove something. I'll save that one for last because that one made me laugh. Not doing my math homework. I'm bad at math. Reading. Sticking out or up for my family. Too much of a perfectionist. This one said, I'm horrible at catching a football. <laughs> so don't throw it at their face. <clears throat> I thought that was pretty funny. But then I, had the, I asked them to write down a strength, to give me a strength. And this one, to some people, is going to become very obvious but this person said their strength was eating tons of food, Chick-fil-A mostly. This person said they have a logical brain. I'll save that one for a minute. <clears throat> this person said weightlifting. This person said working. This person said keeping up his grades or keeping good grades. This person said their, their strength was reading music. This person said their strength was the Lord. And then this person said their strength was catching a football. <laughs> and that was two different people that said that, so I thought that was pretty funny. <clears throat> but you know, we, we live in a social media culture, and we are bombarded with everybody's strengths. Everybody puts out there online, they, all they put out there is their good moments, their best moments. They're bright and shining moments. They don't put out there their weak moments. They don't put out their weaknesses. They don't put that out there. And literally, we are um, confused, isn't the word, but we are deceived into thinking that so many people have everything perfect and everything's wonderful. And the reality is that that's not true. It's not true. And our lives have weaknesses. And you know what? That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because like Paul said here, when he is weak, then he is strong. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not until you decide to get weak and let God become your strength that you truly become strong. And so this morning, I want to look at a few things about this choice, this, 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 this decision to trust God for our strength like Paul did. I want to look at that, and uh, I want to start in chapter 12, verse number 1. 
Paul says, and I want to read, I just want to bring a sermon entitled, um, His Strength and My Weakness. And I just have a title slide, and my points won't be up there this morning. But um, my strength, or his strength in my weakness. <clears throat> I feel like that guy most of the time. But his strength in my weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. That word glory means to be prideful. It means to boast. It means to brag, okay? The word expedient means it's not beneficial. So Paul is saying, it is not beneficial for me to boast. He says, it is not beneficial for me to brag. So why is Paul saying that it is not beneficial for him to brag or to boast? Go back to chapter 11. The church here in Corinth had a problem. And the problem was this. There were people in the church who wanted authority. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to call the shots. They wanted to be important. They wanted to teach, and they wanted to preach, and they wanted to be the big dog in that church in Corinth. And what they would do is they would brag. They'd say, well, my credentials are blah, 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 blah. Well, my credentials are blah, 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 blah. And everybody had their credentials and the reasons why they thought they should be in a position of authority. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse, starting in verse 16, notice what he says. Paul says, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me that I may boast myself a little. Now, Paul's kind of thrown this back in their faces. Paul's saying, hey, you guys want to keep boasting and talk about how awesome you are and how much you've done for God and how you deserve all these things. So, hey, if you guys are going to speak like fools and be foolish, then, hey, suffer me a little time. And I'll speak like a fool too. It's pretty strong language. It's pretty strong language. So Paul proceeds to talk about himself a little, like he says at the end of verse 16, verse 17, that, that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord. Notice that. What an admission. Paul says, I'm not speaking after the Lord. Hey, listen, I'm gonna sink down to your level for a minute and I'm going to put you in your place. And that's what he's about to do. He says, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, verse 18, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring, bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt you, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I am bold also. So now here Paul begins his list of credentials, what he has to boast in. And the first thing Paul boasts in is the fact that he is bold. Now it's interesting, this word bold literally means to be fearless. It means to be daring. Now Paul is not afraid to stand up and take a stand for truth. He's not afraid to speak for God. He's not afraid to talk to people in the square. He's not afraid to talk to people out in town. He's not afraid to go down to the synagogue and talk to people there. Paul is daring. He is fearless. We were, uh, last night, I don't know if you've ever seen the, um, the documentary um, called Free Solo. Any of you ever seen the documentary called Free Solo about uh, Alex Honnold? Any of you know who Alex Honnold is? Great, wonderful. Um, so Alex Honnold is a free climber. Does anybody know what free climbing is? Yep, so it's when you climb without a rope. Alex Honnold, if you look him up, you will find a picture of him standing in Yosemite National Park on a ledge about this wide, a few hundred or thousand feet up on half dome, looking over the valley, no ropes, just standing against on that little ledge as he that was free climbing half dome. But in 2017, I think it was June, Alex Honnold did something that nobody else has ever done. Alex Honnold free climbed El Capitan, which is a rock face in Yosemite National Park out in California. Alex Honnold free climbed nearly 3,000 feet. The route he took measures 2,950 vertical feet that he free climbed. The average or experienced climber that would climb El Capitan 
climbs it in the average is four days. They will climb. They will, they, will, they will put their anchors in the wall. They will climb, and they have these platforms that they build out that they put a tent on, and they literally sleep 1,000 feet up in the air on that rock face. Alex Honnold, at about 6 a.m., started his climb. He free climbed that route in three hours and 56 minutes. The guy is a freak of nature. His fingers and his toes I mean, they're like, the muscles in his fingers and toes are ridiculous. But if you ever get a chance to watch the, the documentary Free Solo, it, it is really interesting. But the one thing that was interesting was this. In that documentary, he goes and has an MRI done to see how his brain functions. And what they do is as he's having this MRI done, they show him pictures. And when he sees a picture, he's supposed to click a button. And so they see what's happening in his brain when he sees those pictures pictures how his brain lights up with those different pictures and is it the adulum what is it the megalum megalum egalum something anyway there's a part in your brain that registers fear his doesn't light up <laughs> mine better not light up either because i'm falling <laughs> there's no way He literally has no fear. It takes an extreme to cause him to be afraid. That part of his brain just doesn't light up. And you know what? Paul was fearless. He was bold. He was daring when it came to the cause of Christ and living for God and doing what God wanted him to do. He was daring. He was bold. In verse 22, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So now he talks about his heritage. Listen, we live in a small community here in Fort Morgan slash Brush, Wiggins, Morgan County, or whatever it all is. Listen, we live in a small community. I think half the people in here are related. They are. I mean, I, I went to Mindy Smith one time, and she was cutting my hair, and she's telling me how she's related to Mrs. Crosscob, and I was like, man, I'm glad I only say good things about Mrs. Crosscob. I really, I mean, I do. I don't know a bad thing about Mrs. Crosscob. I don't think those things exist. But anyway, um, I'll ask Dustin later. But, um, but you know what? Our heritage is important, is it not? Who we're related to, where we came from, it, there's benefits to that. And listen, Paul knew that. It's interesting. He doesn't even mention the fact that he's a Roman citizen. But he says, are they Hebrews? Are they Israelites? Are they of the seed of Abraham? He says, so am I. I can glory in that. I can be prideful in that. I can brag about that too. But then he goes on. Not only is, is he bold, not only his heritage, but notice what he says next. He says in verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? Notice the par par parenthetical thought here. He kind of clarifies where he's going. He says, I speak as a fool. He says, listen, I want you to know that I'm really not bragging about this. I'm just kind of laying that out and showing you guys where you're at. And notice what he says. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I am more. Wow. Wow. Really? I am more? Paul, you're going to say that about yourself, about somebody else that is serving the Lord? Yes, he did. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. In a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Let me ask you a question. What have you suffered for God? What have I suffered for God? Does your list look like this? Beaten, stoned, and left for dead. Beaten with rods. Stripes, talking about a whip, five times. Shipwrecked. Journeyings and perils. Weariness and painfulness. Now listen. We compare this thing all the time. You know what I have to do? You know what I have to do? All I have to do is tell Dusty that he's a part of the Navy. 
And what department is the, is the Marine Corps when it comes to the Navy? The men's department? Is that what it is? See, all I have to do is get four different military branches in one room, and we'll talk about who's the toughest. I mean, it's going to come up. It's going to happen. I mean, people are going to start bragging. I mean, it always happens. And the truth is, is some of you have been through some painful situations. You have endured. Some of you in here, the reality is some of you in here are stronger than others. You are. And some of you have endured certain things more than others or have endured certain things and a lot of us haven't endured those things. There are some strong men in here. There are some strong people in here. And here Paul says it's foolishness to boast in those things. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. Notice this, not only these external things, but notice verse 28. He says, beside those things that are without. So he says, beside all that stuff that's out there that I've experienced, notice what he says. That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So not only did he have external struggles, he has internal ones. He has, he has some anxiety. He has some fear. He might have some doubt. He has some, um, some maybe some depression. Whatever it is, he has some mental, some heart internal struggles that he has fought, that he struggles with for the cause of Christ. It's the care of all the churches. And he says, I can brag about these things too. Notice what he, how he ends, out the, ends the chapter. He says, if I, who is weak? I am not weak. And, am I, and I am not weak? He says, who is weak? And I am not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not? He says, if I must needs glory, I will glory or boast of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under uh, Eretus, the king kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his bands. Now I'm gonna be real careful asking this, but let me ask you this. How many of you are sitting here this morning and you have a warrant out for your arrest and when you leave this morning, you're gonna carefully go out to your car and drive under the speed limit to get home and go in your house so that way you don't get arrested? Don't raise your hand, please. <laughs> now I know I have... At least three law, well, you're law enforcement too, aren't you? So I know I have four currently employed law enforcement officers in this room. And um, so anyway, we're not going to go too deeply into that idea. But listen, I realize that many times the criminal mind is not all that, doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. But you know, I would think if I had a warrant out for my arrest, I'd try to be a little careful. That way I don't have any reason to get pulled over. You know, like I'm not going to be driving 79, <clears throat> you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but I'm going to be cautious because I don't want to get arrested. That's kind of like where Paul was. Now, Paul hadn't done anything wrong, but they wanted to arrest him. They had a whole garrison of soldiers ready to take him. But you know what happened in verse 33? And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. So the, the, these Christians let him down out a window on the wall of the city so that way he could escape and not get arrested. Listen, Paul suffered for the cause of Christ. He did. The truth is, is Paul experienced a lot of things that probably nobody else has ever experienced for the cause of Christ. And that brings us to chapter 12, verse one. It is not expedient for me to glory. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. Paul says, yeah, I have a lot I could brag about, but you know what, it's not helpful. And that's the first thing I want you to think about this morning. Number one, I want you to think about this. Your boasting is not beneficial. Some of you in here are probably pretty successful. Some of you in here have probably done pretty well in life. Some of you are in the middle of a career that you've started out at nothing and you've worked your way up. That's admirable. Some of you in here have a lot of life experience and you've been through a lot of things. And you know what? If you wanted to, you could probably brag a little bit. But you know what? It's not beneficial. It's not beneficial. Here, Paul realizes that his boasting, his bragging, or even his pride is not going to benefit anybody else. And you know, the reality is this, our pride, our arrogance, our boasting, our bragging, it only benefits us. It doesn't benefit anybody else. 
And here we get a glimpse into the, the desire of Paul not to live for Paul. Paul was beyond himself. Paul didn't care about Paul anymore. Paul wasn't worried about putting Paul up on a pedestal. Paul wasn't worried about making Paul look awesome. Paul wasn't worried about what everybody else thought about Paul. You know what Paul was worried about? Everybody else. In Romans chapter 15, verses one through three, the Bible says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, listen to this, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached me, reproached thee, fell on me. Here Paul says, listen, as a Christian, I should not be living for me. As a Christian, I should not be living to please myself. But rather, I should be more concerned about the people around me and helping build them up and making them better. And then he gives us the example of Christ. He says, that's what Jesus Christ did. He said, Christ didn't please himself. Christ sought to please the will of the Father. Christ sought to please the will of the Father and to come and take your reproaches and mine so that way we wouldn't have to pay for our own sins. He wasn't worried about himself. He was concerned about you. And he was concerned about me. And so here Paul says, your boasting is not beneficial. My boasting is not beneficial. Um, Paul was focused on others. He was more concerned about the benefit of others. And his arrogance or his boasting or him boasting in these things was not going to help anybody. And Paul knew that. Our boasting is not beneficial. You know, it's interesting. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says this. The Bible says, and let us consider one another. Do you realize when you come to church, one of your jobs as a Christian is to consider each other? Now listen, this word consider in Hebrews chapter 10 does not mean to be like, hey, how you doing? Go sit down and not talk to anybody. This word consider means you think about somebody. It means you're sitting there and you watch a family walk in and you're like, hey, they're new. I've never met them before. I should go meet them. And you go down there and you meet them and you say, hi, my name's Wes. How are you? Good to have you. Where are you from? Blah, 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 whatever it is. And you show some interest in somebody. You actually consider them. It also means that you see somebody walk in and you look at them and you're like, she looks like she's been crying. Hey, what's up with the, uh, I can't really throw out a name right now because I was going to say Smith, but we have a Smith. So anyway, but you know, you, you see a family walk in and you see that there's something wrong or disturbed and that word consider means you notice and you think about it and you say, hey, maybe they, maybe they need somebody to pray for them. Maybe they need somebody to talk to them. Maybe they need some help. Maybe they need something. You realize as, as, as fellow believers, when we come here, we're supposed to consider each other. We're supposed to think about each other. He says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We are to be here to encourage each other, to help each other, to provoke each other to love and to good works. I tell the teens this. I probably should tell them this more often. But do you realize when you come to church, it's not necessarily about you. And it's not about me. For me, it's about you. For you, it's about everybody around you. We're supposed to be considering. Our life should not be about ourselves. Paul definitely did not live that way. Paul's life was about other people, and he realizes here that his boasting was not going to be beneficial. The second thing, not only is our boasting not beneficial, but our boasting should be in the success of somebody else. It should bring us joy to see somebody else. Notice what he says in chapter 12, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a few verses here. It says, It is not expedient me for, for me to doubtless glory. I will come to visions and revelation, revelations of the Lord. So now here Paul is taking this bragging kind of to a whole new level. He's going to talk about something that nobody else is going to experience. Notice what he talks about. He says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago 
such an one, bottom of the verse, such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now you need to realize God has created three heavens, okay? We have our heaven or our atmosphere here on earth. That is the first heaven. The sky, the atmosphere, that, that's like our first heaven. The second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is heaven, where God is. So here, Paul says that he was caught up to the third heaven. He, and he says in verse 3, And I knew such a man, verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Listen, Paul had an experience. There are some who think that Paul experienced this when he was left for dead after he had been stoned. So Paul had been stoned with rocks, bashing his skull and bashing his body in. He was drugged outside the city and left for dead. And there are some people who think maybe he was dead and that he did ascend into the third heaven and that God brought him back to life. There are some who think that. There are some who think that maybe in that situation he wasn't completely dead, but he did have a revelation from God. I don't know what happened. None of us know really what happened. But we do know that Paul what did ascend into the third heaven. He did go into paradise, and he did have this vision. But notice verse 5. Notice what he says. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Here, Paul simply says, listen, if I'm going to glory, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast or I'm going to glory in the fact that somebody else had a revelation. That somebody else, now listen, God doesn't give us revelations anymore, and we don't have time to go into all that today, and so you can ask Pastor Monday about that this week. But anyway, I'll throw him under that bus. But anyway, Paul said, I'm going to glory in what God is doing for somebody else. Paul said, I'm going to glory in what somebody else is doing for the Lord. I'm not going to sit here and boast about myself. I'm going to glory in what somebody else is doing. And Proverbs 27 verse 2 says, let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth a stranger, and not thine own lips. We should live that way. Let another man praise you. Let somebody else praise you. Nobody likes somebody that runs around talking about themselves all the time. I saw a quote. It said something like, um, a dog has a lot of friends because he wags his tail, not his tongue. A dog has a lot of friends because he wags his tail, not his tongue. My wife and I sat in a Denny's, man, that was a long time ago, 14 years ago, been married 17 years, three, four, five, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. My wife and I sat in a Denny's, and I sat here, my wife sat across from me. We began to stare into each other's eyes. Then I began to listen to this obnoxious guy behind me, and the whole time we sat there, this guy, I'm assuming he was on a date with this girl that was across from him. He sat there and proceeded to talk about himself for like 45 minutes. I've done this. I've done that. You know, I've been here and I've, uh, and me and me and me. And I sat there and my wife and I, we were like in pain listening to this. And I'm going, are you kidding me? And I wanted to get up, walk over there and say, ma'am, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but you need to leave. I'm like, this guy's an idiot. And it's obvious he doesn't care anything about you. He's really in love with himself. I would walk. I mean, I just sayonara, I'm out. I mean, it was the most annoying and obnoxious thing. And so that's why I tell teenage guys, I'm like, listen, you take a girl out on a date, shut up. You take a girl out on a date, learn to listen. Ask a question, be quiet, and let her talk. Just let her talk. Be interested. Okay? Girls, it kind of goes both ways. Be interested. It should be a two-way street, conversation, communication. With that dude, it wasn't. And man, it was annoying. Nobody likes that guy. <laughs> Nobody wants to sit there and listen to somebody talk about themselves all day. And that's what Paul says here. Paul says, listen, I'm not going to boast about myself and run around and brag about myself. Instead, I'm going to brag about somebody else. I'm going to say something good about somebody else that's doing something for God. So our boasting isn't beneficial. Our boasting should be in the successes of other people. But then the third thing is this. Notice verse 6. Your boasting is foolish. My boasting is foolish. He says, verse 6, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. 
So here Paul says, I'm not going to behave foolishly. I'm not going to be a fool and brag about myself, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. You know what is amazing when people brag? Usually bragging is a lot like a fish story. The fish was this big, but when I tell everybody about it, it's this big. You know what? I I think I'm going to show that picture right now. Hey, can you throw that picture up of, of pastor's deer? Isn't that nice? It's impressive, isn't it? It's amazing. You know what I did? I photoshopped his face on that body. That is not his deer. <laughs> if you want to see the picture of his deer, it's a little bit smaller than that. But anyway. <laughs> I know he would have loved to have shot that deer. He's going to kill me when he gets back. But, um, <clears throat> but you know what? Usually when we boast, we brag. When we're prideful, that's how we view ourselves. And really, you shot like this little spike and... Uh, you know, it's like, still got spots on it. But anyway. But you know, when we brag, we boast, we exaggerate. And that's what Paul says here in verse 6. He said, though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. So Paul didn't want people to have an exaggerated view of Paul. But the truth is, especially on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, we like people to have an inflated view of us because I am awesome. No, you're not. No, I'm not. We're not all we think we are. So boasting, he says, is foolish. It's foolishness. And then the fourth thing I want you to think about is this. You're boasting what you think you have to be proud about, what you think you have to glory in. God can squash it at any moment. Notice what happens to Paul in verse number seven. He says, and lest I should be exalted above measure. So just in case I happen to get exalted above measure, notice what he says. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He says, for this thing I, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. The, third, the fourth thing I want you to think about is this, your boasting can be squashed. What you think you have to be proud about, God can take away like that. It can be gone. It can be gone. Here, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh. The reality is this, none of us really know what the thorn of the flesh is. You can read book after book after book after book and you'll find thought after thought after thought after thought about what this thorn in the flesh was. Some people think maybe it was a, a, uh, an eye disease. In Galatians chapter four, I think it is, Galatians three or four, um, it talks in there about the Galatians, how they said that they even wished that they could pluck out their own eyes and give them to Paul to help him. That's how much they loved Paul and wanted to help him, that they wished they could have given him their own eyes so that he could read or write or whatever it was he needed to do that he could do it better. Some believe that it was a speech impediment or some kind of inability to speak or a stutter or something. And you can find that throughout 2 Corinthians. Um, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, uh, 10, it says, For his letters, say they, so people were talking about the writings of Paul, are weighty and powerful. So Paul writes a big letter, but in person. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So there were those who said that Paul's ability to speak and to whatever was not all that great. Sorry, I hate this microphone. Anyway, so Galatians 4, 3, 13 to 15 is I thing. Um, in, Galate, in Acts 14, 19 through 20, that's where you have Paul when he was stoned and he was taken outside of Antioch, Antioch and Iconium and was left there for dead. Let me ask you a question. If a group of people drug you outside today and took some rocks and threw them and broke your leg, 
And then they took a little bit bigger rock and they slammed it down on your back and, 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 and injured your back. And then they slammed it down on your chest and they caved in part of your chest. And they took another rock and they, and they threw it down on your other leg and now you're pretty much immobile. And then they began to take these rocks and they throw them on your head. You realize when they stoned somebody, that's what they did. How do you think Paul looked? How do you think Paul looked after being stoned and having these rocks dropped on his face and on his head to kill him? How do you think he looked when he got up from that? Ladies and gentlemen, it was not pretty. It was not pretty at all. I mean, I'm sure there was some form of disfigurement. It's not like he had plastic surgeons back then. It's not like he could go to the hospital and get reconstructive surgery done. And so there are some who think that maybe his thorn in the flesh was, he was just rough to look at. I don't know. But whatever it was, God put this in his life so that way Paul would not be exalted above measure to keep Paul humble. Humble. And the truth is this, ladies and gentlemen, God has an amazing way of humbling us. And if we aren't willing to humble ourselves, God will. God will. So all of that, all of this bragging, not bragging, all this pride, this arrogance, brings us to one thing. And that's verses 9 and 10. And that's this. At the end of verse 10, Paul says, For when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, God wants you and I to stop relying on our strengths and to start relying on God's strength. God wants us to start, or God wants us to stop getting upset and frustrated and aggravated over our weaknesses and trust his strength so that we can be strong. That's what God wants us to do. It may even come down to a point where we say, you know what, I'm not gonna trust in my ability, even though I could do that, and I'm gonna take my hands off and ask God to do it. It could even come down to that. It could even come down to that. So the last thing I want you to think about is this. The power of God rests in your weakness. The power of God rests in your weakness. Notice what God tells Paul. So Paul says, I have asked God to remove this thorn three times. Verse nine, and he, God, said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. A couple things I want you to think about. First of all, I want you to think about this. There's a provision. God has provided the sufficient grace that you need for anything. Here he says, my grace is is sufficient. The word sufficient means it, it fits the bill. It means it is what is necessary. It is the necessary tool. It is the necessary ability, the necessary power. It is sufficient. It will never be lacking. It will never leave you hanging. It will never put you in a difficult position and there's no solution. God's grace is sufficient for everything. But it's God's grace. See, the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, you and me, we're insufficient. But God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's enough. Now, here's the thing. And this is the thing that I always struggle with when it comes to God's grace. How do you get it? How do you use it? I mean, it's not like a sword in a sheath and you can just pull it out and God's grace. I mean, how do you use it? Well, I have a couple ideas. The first one would be found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says this. For by grace are you saved through, anybody know? Faith. Faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So first of all, grace is received by faith. Okay? You have to trust God for it. Secondly, if we were to go over to Matthew chapter 14, you would find the story of Peter walking on the water. 
Now, Peter walked on water. What an amazing thing. And, and I know Peter gets a, bu- a bad rap sometimes, but listen, none of you have walked on water. Neither have I. It'd be pretty cool. But Peter's the only one other than Jesus to ever walk on water. So I don't care if he started to doubt and he sunk and whatever. I I mean, at least he got out of the boat. That's the grace. Listen, not only is grace received by faith, but listen, grace is also received through obedience. You see, this is what we want to do. We want to trust God and say, okay, God, give me the grace. But then what we want is we want God to pick us up out of the boat and put us on the water. But God doesn't function that way. God says, I'll give you the grace when you get on the water. The Bible says that he got down out of the boat. That boat was up above the water level. He had to step down on the water. Let me ask you a question. If you went out here to uh, Jackson Lake or whatever, Pruitt or something, you went out on a boat and you stepped out on the side, what's going to happen when you step out and put all your weight on that water? Floop. Bye. You think that was in Peter's mind? Peter, I, I, I can like see him holding on to the edge of the boat, you know, like. Maybe not. Maybe he was like, Jesus said, come. And off he went. But you know what Peter had to do? He had to step down out of that boat. And ladies and gentlemen, it was when he stepped down out of that boat and he put his foot on that water that God gave him grace. And he had the grace to walk on water. And he walked on water. We don't know how many steps he took, but then it does say that he began to doubt when he saw the storm and everything happening, and then he began to sink. He cried, Lord, help me, and God saved him. The grace ran out when he started to doubt. When Peter doubted, there was no more grace. It was done. No more walking on water. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that grace works the same way in your life and mine. Number one, it's through faith, and number two, it's through obedience. When we'll, be, when we'll take that step of faith and trust God and we'll obey and do what he wants us to do, God says, okay, I'll give you the grace for it. But it's not until then. God ain't just running around dropping grace everywhere. Hey, if you need it, here it is. You have to take that step. There is a provision. God has the grace you need, whatever the weakness might be. Secondly, there's a potential. Notice this in verse 9. Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, ladies and gentlemen, there's a potential. And it's a pretty awesome potential. It's God's power. But you know what the sad thing is? Potential isn't always realized. Sometimes potential is just that. It's potential. You know why? Because we never act on it. We never take advantage of it. There are some of you in this room, you got a lot of potential athletically. A lot of you kids, you got a ton of athletic potential, but you know it will never be realized. You know why? Because you won't keep the grades, you won't be able to stay on the team. You won't stay out of trouble and, and do what you're supposed to do and live right, and so you'll be in trouble, you won't be on the team. There'll be some of you, you're lazy. You won't put in the work, you won't put in the effort, you won't be on the team. You have a ton of potential. You have a ton of talent, but it'll never be realized. You know what's amazing? All of you have potential for Christ. And it's up to you whether or not it gets realized. It's up to you whether or not that power, that grace is given to you and you do something for God. So there's a provision, there's a potential. The third thing is there's a pleasure. Notice what he says in verse nine again. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Get this. In 2018, this will be 20, yeah, 2018, national championship football game, college football game. Who was in it? Alabama, and who else? It was Georgia. Remember, second half, Georgia choked. Yeah, don't talk to me about that. But in the second half, do you remember who the quarterback was for Alabama? Wasn't Jalen Hurts. Can't say his name, can you? His first name's Tua. 
Tago Veloa. Tago Veloa. Or how, I, don't, I don't know how you say it. But anyway, if you remember, Tua, true freshman, comes in second half. Jalen Hurts was having a horrible game. Remember the stories afterwards of Jalen Hurts and his sportsmanship and his character to sit out after he led that team? To sit out and let a true freshman go in? They came back and unfortunately beat Georgia in the national championship game? That takes some guts, man. I mean, that takes some character to say, hey, I'm playing horribly. Let Tua go in. Let's see what happens. To sit, to sit there, and he's not griping. He's not over there taking a knee. He's not over there in the back on a bench pouting like all the NFL players. No, he's out there rooting him on, calling plays, part of the team, being a part of the game. What an amazing attitude. What an amazing attitude. Get this. They won the game. Just like Jalen Hurts said, I'll take a back seat. You know what God says? Or Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities. Paul says, I'll take a back seat. I'll glory in my infirmities. God, you can do it. He steps back. He takes a back seat and he says, God, you do it. Let your power work through me. So there's a pleasure. There is a joy. And letting God work through your life. And then the last thing, real quick, there's a promise. Notice verse 10. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a promise for God's ability, God's power. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are your weaknesses? Let me ask you this, what do you take pride in? What strengths do you have? And legit strengths. But they're an area of pride for you, and God can't work in those. Let me ask you this morning, what area of pride do you have? What weaknesses do you need God's help in? Because God is waiting and ready and willing to help you in those weaknesses. What's your weakness this morning? What's your weakness this morning? The Bible gives us several things that we're supposed to do. I, can, I, I always go back to this when it comes to weakness. Guys, husbands, do you realize Ephesians chapter 5 tells you you're supposed to love your wife? You know what's really amazing about that command? It doesn't say love your wife when she's lovable. And I'm sure there's times when she is. But I'm also pretty confident. Listen, I'm pretty confident that there's times when she's not. I know she's not. And that's why God said, love your wife. Love your wife. But you know what the truth is? Sometimes we're not good at that. We're not good at that. Ladies, you realize that the Bible says in that same chapter that you're supposed to submit to your husband? And it doesn't say submit when he's nice. It doesn't say submit when, when you feel like it. It doesn't say submit when everything's going easy and, and you get what you want. Doesn't say anything like that. It says submit. It means submit. Kids, you realize Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1? It says to obey your parents. You realize it doesn't say obey your parents when dad comes in and says, Hey, Billy, would you take out the trash for me? Thanks. You're, you're such a great guy. When your dad comes in, kicks the door open, boom, take out the trash. I don't know about you, I have days like that. That's what it says, kids. It says, honor and obey your parents. There's no qualifications there. It's not if your parents say please. It's not if it makes sense to you. It's not if they tell you why and they lay it all out so that way you can go, hmm, logically it would make sense for me to obey my dad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's just three areas in our lives where the reality is, is we struggle. There are days, and, and this is going to sound horrible or whatever, but there are days when I do, I pray and I say, God, help me love my wife the way I need to. And I know there are days when my wife says, Lord, help me submit to my husband like I need to. 
because I'm going to kill him. (laughs) And I know there's days when it's not easy for my kids to obey me and do what they're supposed to do. Those are three simple, practical areas in life where the reality is, is many times we are weak and we need God's help. But what other areas are there this morning where you need God's help? Let's all stand and uh, we're just going to have a quick moment of invitation this morning. If you want to come down here and pray and just ask God to help you submit to him and ask him to help you tap into that strength that he has for you and for me, I encourage you just to come down here. We're, we're not going to sing. I'm just going to let the piano play. Um, but if God has worked in your heart, challenged your heart, um, feel free to come down here and pray. And I, I just want to encourage you this morning. Weakness is not a bad thing. Because it's in that weakness that God can actually work. And I don't know about you, but I want God to work in my life. I want God's power in my life and in my family. And trust me, I am far from perfect. But ladies and gentlemen, it's in that weakness, it's in that submission to him that he is able to work. So I challenge you this morning, let God work in your life. Take that step of obedience, trust him for that grace, and let him work in your life.